We continue our series in the Gospel of John to lead us up to Good Friday and the Easter season. John chapter 4 for our text today. John's Gospel chapter number 4. I grew up in a Norwegian household. There was an old saying that I learned as a small boy. My father repeated it often. And when we were around his siblings, it often came up in conversation. That old saying goes like this. 10,000 Swedes ran through the weeds chased by one Norwegian. (laughs) And my father said, you could also say that 10,000 Swedes ran through the weeds chasing one Norwegian. He said it works both ways. (laughs) It's one of those ethnic jokes You know, in western New York, they tell jokes about Polish people. And in the Midwest, they tell jokes about people from North Dakota. And in New England, they talk about people from Vermont. And the Norwegians tell jokes about the Swedes. And when I was visiting my family over in Norway, one of the places I was going to visit was a little town called Hukligran. And a fellow named John told me, he said, you go up over the mountain and down into Hookley Grand and maybe you'll see the fjord down there. The fjord is a long, narrow, very deep body of water that leads out to the sea. So I was talking with some other family members, a uh, family of Norwegians, my father's cousin. And I said, I'm going to drive up over the big mountain to Hookley Grand and maybe I'll see the fjord. And they said, who told you there was a fjord in Hookley Grand? I said, John told me. Well, they laughed and laughed. I don't know why they were laughing. They laughed and they laughed. They said, John doesn't know anything. He's a Swede. <laughs> they thought it was the funniest thing in the world. There is no fjord in Hookley Grand. They laughed and laughed. Where did the idea come from? And Norwegians joke about the Swede. I don't really know. But I will say this. And nobody really takes it seriously. But my grandfather used to say with all seriousness, don't you ever forget the date May 17th. That's Norwegian Independence Day, like our 4th of July. And the Norwegians have May 17th. And when we asked Grandpa what happened on that day, why we're supposed to remember it, he said the Norwegians declared themselves independent from the Swedes. And he was very serious about the whole thing. I suppose that long ago, there must have been a real prejudice towards the Swedes. I'm glad those things fade away and just become a good joke after a while. When I mentioned Norwegian Independence Day to John, that Swede, he, he told me, uh, the Swedes just didn't want the place anymore. We gave it back to them. <laughs> In our text today, we find prejudice, and we find a lot of it. And I assure you, it's no joke. It's real, and it's very destructive. And Jesus is going to have to deal with it. 
Now last week we said that Jesus had a very special way of talking to people. And we saw Nicodemus, a very influential, very rich Pharisee who came to Jesus by night. And Jesus knew just what to say to him. And today we go to the opposite end of the social spectrum. And we made a lady who is poor, who has no influence at all. And Jesus will speak to her. He's going to bring up the very same topic he did with Nicodemus. He's going to talk about water again. And Jesus will once again discuss water this time with a Samaritan woman. So here we go, beginning John chapter 4, reading at verse number 5. Jesus cometh to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. So picture Jesus sitting on these stones that surround this well. And it's high noon. And Jesus has been walking in the heat of the day. And he's all hot and sweaty. And he's tired from his journey. The disciples have gone into the local town to get some food. And Jesus is alone and he's resting. It's a hot day and he looks worn out and weary. And a woman comes carrying a water jug that she will tie to her rope and drop down into the well to get water. And Jesus says, hi, you think you could give me a drink? (laughs) And it seems like a very simple and reasonable request. I'm sure she obliged him. And I'm sure Jesus was grateful and thanked her very much. And with a big smile said, thanks, I needed that. Now listen to her reply. Verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh a drink of me? which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She can tell Jesus is Jewish, maybe by his clothes, probably by his accent, or just by his facial features. He looks Jewish. And she says, why are you talking to me? I am both a woman and a Samaritan. And Jewish people hate us Samaritans. She was exactly right. The Jewish people considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds, and a good Jew would never speak to a Samaritan. As a matter of fact, a good Jew would never travel even through Samaria. They would walk all the way east to the Jordan River, miles out of their way, just to avoid going through Samaria, where they might have to speak to a Samaritan. And not only that, a Jewish rabbi would never speak to a woman in public, ever. Even if it was his own wife. She was expected to walk behind him and to never speak to the rabbi in a public place. So to be a Samaritan woman is the double whammy. So when Jesus speaks kindlier, she asks, why? Why do you even speak to me? 
Now, let's stop for a minute and think about this lady. First thing to notice is she has come to draw water from the well at high noon in the heat of the day. Nobody carries water in the heat of the day. Normally, you would go to the well early in the morning before it gets hot, draw your water, and carry it home just after dawn so you would have fresh water for the day. But this woman has come by herself. No one else is there at high noon. The worst time of the day to draw water and carry it home. So I wonder why. And secondly, notice, as soon as she sees Jesus, a Jewish man, she expects him to avoid her. She expects him to look down on her, to turn his back toward her as if she didn't exist. She expects contempt and conflict and confrontation. Now, I would venture a guess. She came to draw water at noon to avoid other people, to avoid confrontation. She knows full well nobody will be at the well at noon. It just isn't done. And I'll bet uh, she was disappointed to actually see somebody sitting on the well at noon. And I'm sure she thought, oh boy, I came here in this uncomfortable heat to avoid people. And now look, there's a Jewish man sitting right on the well. So here we go. But much to her surprise, not only does he speak to her, he's actually quite polite and pleasant. And when she gets the nerve to ask, why are you speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? He ignores the comment, or as he seems to ignore it. And he says something quite amazing, verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water shall be in him spring, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said, If you knew who I was, if you knew me, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me, for water, not me, you. You'd ask me for living water. We have this wonderful exchange between the two of them there by the well. Uh, she says, how am I going to ask you? You don't even have, have a pot to draw it out with. And you also say, if I knew who you were, like you're important, are you greater than Jacob? who dug this well 4,000 years ago? And Jesus said, this water only quenches your thirst temporarily. 
I have water that will spring up into eternal life. And a little bit sarcastically, she said, well, give me that water so I don't have to come anymore and draw water. The sarcasm comes from the idea that she doubts that he can really offer her anything useful. She realizes he isn't talking about plain old water from the well. But what does he have to offer anyway? Nothing helpful, I'm sure. But she did say, she did say, give me what you got, not expecting anything. Now here's where Jesus is really good. He knows exactly what to say. And may I say, I don't think I would ever say this to anybody, but he's a very daring person, and he knows exactly what to say. Verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, Thou hast well said I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that thou saidst truly. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Oh, there's a shocker. <laughs> he says, go, go get your husband. Say, I don't have one. She said, that's true. Right now you don't. You have had five. But the one you were living with is now is not your husband. Now, she's never laid eyes on Jesus before, nor him, her. But he knows all about her. So, he must be a prophet. Prophets know things because they talk to God, and God tells them things. My friends, some people read this and they wonder, how did Jesus know that? The woman is right. She's exactly right. God knows things about us. He knows all about us. We have no secrets with God. He knows all about you. Now, we know why she came to the well at noon, don't we? She didn't want to draw water with all the other gossiping ladies around. She was avoiding people because she had a reputation People get married twice or three times. That's not all that unusual. Four times, eh, not so much, okay? But five husbands. It goes beyond that. She's living with number six. I'm sure she's got quite a reputation back in town. But let's look at her more deeply. Let's look past the symptoms to the real problem. Let's try to look at her the way that Jesus was looking at her. What words would you use to describe this woman at the well? Restless? Yeah. She's very restless. She can't settle down. Doesn't ever settle down. Unsatisfied? Well, of course. Five husbands didn't make her satisfied. She kept searching. Disillusion. Yeah. That's more like it. She's tried. She had an idea that a husband would make her happy. 
After number five, it just seemed that there wasn't a man that could make her happy. But she tries again with the expectation, I'm sure this isn't going to work out either. So she didn't marry number six. I'm sure in her restless search for satisfaction, she became disillusioned, thinking, I just want to be happy. And when our founding fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence, they said those famous words, we want to provide for the people life, that is, we'll protect your lives. Liberty will guarantee your freedom. And the pursuit of happiness. We will make a society where you are free to search for happiness however you feel fit. Notice, they did not guarantee happiness. Only the pursuit of happiness because they knew they couldn't guarantee happiness. This poor woman has been in search of happiness. She's made six attempts at finding a relationship that she thought would make her happy. But now she has to avoid all the other ladies. Her reputation as a woman who gives and goes from one man to another has ruined everything. She can't even go draw water in peace if she could only be happy. Thus we find the human condition searching for happiness and wanting to be happy, but it's an elusive thing and we can't get a hold of it. But now this man at the well, who's obviously a prophet, has offered her living water. Obviously... The natural conclusions, water is a thirst quencher, and living water then must quench the thirst of the heart inside. And the heart matters have to do with religion. He's a prophet, he must be talking about religion. Verse 19, the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say, in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. The Samaritans, because they were hated by the Jews, uh, were unwelcome in the temple at Jerusalem, even though it wasn't that far away. So they built their own temple on a mountain in Samaria called Gerizim. And the woman says to Jesus, you Jews have your religion, and we got ours. Who's right? The Samaritans, who don't really have a well-organized religion, or the Jews, who have an organized religion, but they hate everybody that's not Jewish. That's a very good question, isn't it? And it deserves a very good answer. Verse 21, 
Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when you shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus said, listen carefully, I want to tell you something new that you haven't heard before. God doesn't care about your temple. And he doesn't care about ours in Jerusalem either. Doesn't matter anymore where you worship God. You can worship God anywhere you want. And it doesn't matter anymore if you're Jewish or Samaritan. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, old or young, man or woman. None of that matters to God. God wants people to come to Him and in their hearts approach God and tell God the truth. Tell God then that you've had five husbands and now you're with number six. Tell God you're disillusioned and you can't seem to find happiness. And tell God you've been searching all to no avail. God is looking for people who want a relationship that will make them happy. And Jesus said the Father seeks those kind of people. He's looking for those kind of people. And to that Samaritan woman, Jesus said, God is looking for you. He's looking for you. Still not quite believing what Jesus was telling her. Verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know when Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. She says, I wish Messiah would come and straighten this all out. When he gets here, He'll tell us what we need to know. Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Dear lady, that's who I am. I am Messiah. One of the only times he ever said it. There's a woman standing by the wall. How wonderful. In a five-minute conversation, Jesus took her from a disillusioned, unhappy lady who was tired of conflict to the possibility of a relationship with God, fulfilling and satisfying, no matter who she was, the relationship that God himself is searching for. He promises to love you no matter who you are or no matter what you have done. My friends, the search for happiness will always be unsatisfying until your search leads you to God. And God did that on purpose, you know. God did that on purpose. Wise old Solomon wrote that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. That down deep inside of all of us, God put a desire for things that would last forever. And nothing in this world lasts forever. Nothing. 
the old French mathematician named Pascal. He put it this way. He said, there's a God-shaped vacuum inside of every person and we will never be satisfied in our lives until God fills that hole, until God fills that vacuum inside of us. When we start that relationship with God, we find He's so kind. He's so easy to be with. He's so gentle and pleasant. He's such a joy to know. And then come to find out it's that same Jesus who talked with the woman at the well and won her heart in a five-minute conversation over a cold glass of water. Very impressive, is he not? He is still searching for people like you. Still looking. I pray you'll go to him and start that wonderful, satisfying, soul thirst quenching relationship. For as Jesus said, the Father is looking for people just like that. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to learn that in the disillusionment of life and in the unhappiness that surrounds us, God has said, just come. Come and you'll be satisfied. Come and your longings will be met and you will know what it is to find a happy place when God fills your heart. So bless us, Lord as we search for and hunger after these things, that our thirst might be quenched, that we'd be full of the love of God, that would make us happy in a way that we'd never known before. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In closing, I can turn over to hymn number 286. Standing as we sing, hymn number 286. In closing, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Standing as we sing, 286. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Page 286. It's my heart, it's my heart.
thank you for this story today. We thank you that you've cared for those people who are not the ones that are most popular, those people who are set aside by society or by any other group. When we feel lonely or we feel like we don't fit in or we know we have done wrong things, we know that you are longing for us to come to you. You are longing for us to take that drink of living water so that we never thirst again. May our hearts be ready to do that. May you speak to us deeply. May your spirit come in us and may we worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Lord, that you have done this so long ago and that you care about each individual person here. All of those people around, Lord, we are grateful for that. We ask for your help and your protection, your care as we go from this place. May we know and feel your presence throughout this week and come back to this place with our hearts ready to learn, longing for more. We are grateful that you have cared for us, we pray this in your name. Amen.